Hello, my name is Michael Kuehl. I'm Roger Bell-West. And this is called Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice. And it's our podcast about role-playing games and games in general. And this week we're going to talk about the big topics, about um, putting worlds together and then making sure they make sense. And then how to get the players to help you with that, because it's a big job, you know. And what else? Uh, got a bit, bit of an update on uh, how, how the talk game is going under GURPS rules. Oh, and advice to those of you who are asked by those nice people at gaming companies to give them advice. Let's start with a big topic. World building is a big topic, a thing that we get to do from time to time when we're bored and playing in other people's universes. I enjoy it. I've been known to enjoy it more than the game sometimes. Yeah, that is, that is a problem. And we will, <laughs> we will come to it and we will, we, will, we will mention why this is a problem in a bit. Where do you start? What can be the grit that you form a pearl around? Some sort of nifty idea. Okay, well that's vague it's, it's, enough. It's got, it's got to be something that leaps out at me and says, I want to run this campaign. Okay, give examples. Um, sometimes it is, while nifty, fairly simple, as with, um, I, w- I want to run something in the style of aliens. Okay, yeah. Uh, but well, that's, or... a, that's, that's a campaign, that's a campaign definition. It doesn't tell me anything much about the world as such. I mean, if you... Well, st- th- there are implications for that. Um, for example, if I'm going to have the sense in aliens that your employers are very distant and don't really care about your survival very much... That's, no. that's not compatible with lots of cheap small spacecraft flying all over the place. No. And it, it, and it also, the, the, the fact that home is a long way away um, in, uh, in, in, the, in the movie, that, that you're going from star to star in, in, deep, in deep frozen sleep, that, that imply, implies a lot about, about the technology and what that technology implies for the world. And perhaps more relevantly to PCs, if you call for help, it ain't going to come. Yeah, until you've been eaten, digested. I, uh, I, uh, yeah, I uh, transformed into something hideous. Yes, that, that and that's set up because well, it's set up that way because it's a horror movie. Yeah, it, it, it's it's the science fiction equivalent of uh, destroying all the cell phone towers. But that that's a world design that feeds directly into the feel of the story. And if if you have an idea for what the feel of the story ought to be. Hmm. The, the sort of games you want to run in this setting. You know, I, I, I don't like to railroad, but I'm, I generally go for at least a general style. Yeah. And if that style is it, uh, the, the horror one, as we've just been talking about, mm. then that implies things about the world design. There's also the other way on, where something about the world creates the, the story, the genre. best example I can come up with it isn't one of mine. It's uh, one of Ken Heights, uh, the Madness dossier. The yeah. idea that History is, is is a lie, an overlay on what really happened, and it, our current history is a rewrite and a very unstable one. That is not only the cool, central, nifty idea for the for the world; it also implies things about the uh, about the sort of adventures it, that you're going to be able to have in it. But I think the world was there first. Uh, I think the whole thing it started as the, as the sidebar in Gut uh, Horror mm. Third Edition. Yeah. I, I think it may well all have come as one thing. It was it was quite a short. It was a, bit, a yeah. few paragraphs originally. I tend to think about perhaps too much about what the underpinnings of things are, 
It's a necessary trait in a, a, a GM, but it, it, it has it has its vices. I'll, I'll come back to my vices on this. Yeah, I, I I like designing an FTL system and working out the implications of how that's going to yeah. work. I, I like coming up with a magic system and thinking what what sort of majors is that going to produce? What sort of society yeah. are they going to live in? But none none of this really feeds directly into the the classic who are the PCs? What do they do? Yeah, I tend to obsess about. Um, Theological matters. Um, I tend to I tend to think about the relationship of gods and souls and what that implies for the world. I have perhaps written myself into a slight corner with a campaign I'm currently on, where I'm going off in directions about the implications of of letting a predominantly Christian population know that reincarnation is in fact a verifiable fact. This is a secret only known to the local priest and the bishop, and they have to deal with the implications as to what it means that um, the, the the faith has got this detail wrong. Um, well, but that, I'm that not happened. sure. I'm not sure at all that the players are that interested, as interested as I am, and that mm. is beginning to be a problem. It's, in a way, a sort of medieval mindset that everything that's going on is affected by one's thoughts about one's relationship with God, the state of one's soul, and so on. Well, I, I have been a medieval recreationist for too long, and it perhaps it perhaps seeps into bits of me. <laughs> <laughs> I, in other places, I've, I've gone for... Um, well, it worked best, I think, when I was doing a fantasy campaign where I, I did something like um, the five gods in Lewis McMaster Blue Joel's things. I swear that my six gods came first, um, being a reflection on you've got Mother, Maiden, and Crone, you've got Father, Son, and let's call him Uncle. Mm. And, um, and because I wanted symmetry. And that actually worked because they were working for the Temple of Uncle, um, who is the odd god out and the god of um, eccentrics and outcasts and bastards. The, the obvious campaign name is, to me, obvious. Yeah, they, they were, the men and one woman from Uncle. <laughs> um, but that, that, that's, a, that's a personal thing. Yeah, you've got to be, make sure that your obsession fades into the background. Um, there's a something Robin Law said. I know we, Hello, Robin. I know we refer to you quite a lot on what his most recent podcast was that you look at all these fantasy settings and all the great lists of chronology in previous ages and all that. He says you can throw all that out. You don't you don't it's not really interesting except I found myself I, I probably said said the same thing, probably even on this podcast. Except that I wanted to argue about Tecuma, which has this vast, huge, un believably long background sketched in. Is this something that your PCs, as opposed to your players, are aware of? Yes and no. Some of them would be, some of them would have an in inkling if they were scholars. Some of the, and so some of them it would matter. You're going down in a hole in the ground. You better know which era that was put down in and what nasty monsters you're likely to be, to to encounter down down there. But uh, but uh, the point I was going to make was. It's not important at the player interface. It's very important to the to giving the GM a sense of the world, to being able to improvise in the world, to have a sense of what happened where and where you are in 
the flow of history. It can only be vague in some cases. I'm not M.E.R. Barker or Greg Stafford, God knows. I do not create, though I play in that sort of universe, I don't create that immense detail. But even in the worlds I do create, I have some sense of, well, that happened that number of years ago, and before that, that happened, before that, that happened. And way back in the past is something hand-waving which I'll make up as I go along. I wonder if one, one could connect that to just being in the right sort of mood. Um, if if I'm in the right sort of mood for a particular world I'll, I'll, or a particular campaign, I will I will write adventures. I will mm. run the thing in a in a style that suits that campaign. Yeah. Uh, a, a way I do this a lot with music. I I pretty much can't run a campaign until I've got a playlist for it. Oh lord! Because that demonstrates the sort of mood I'm thinking about. It, it may be quite a short one to start, and I'll add to it later. And, and yeah, for, for World War Two, it's easy. For the nineteen sixties, it's easy. Yeah. Uh, well, you, you're lucky. Lucky. I'm, well, you are. You can do that because you play mostly in uh, in your own home, and you can. Oh, I don't mean for while I'm playing the game. I mean, it's oh, nice yeah. if it's right. while I'm playing the game. It, it's while I'm writing the game. It's while I'm writing oh, the adventures, coming up with ideas, driving to the to where I'm going to run the game. Ooh. I must try and expand my possibilities. It's it's about getting myself into the right sort of mood to make decisions about the game, hmm. which I'm not doing. I'm, I'm probably doing more beforehand than during. Okay, this is what it sound, sounds like. I do. I will admit that I have, I have some fantasy ideas which are which are crystallising around um, the Alan Parsons project, which probably will cause some of our listeners to to, to laugh and, and point. But never mind. Uh, another failure that I, I've certainly spotted in myself, is getting fixated on tiny detail. Um, you've met Pat Reedy's world-building questions, I think? I think, uh, but, but let us expand it for the for yeah. the. I'll, 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 put, I'll put a link into the show notes, but uh, they're, they're basically all sorts of small questions that you should be able to answer mm. when creating a culture or a country or whatever for, for, yeah. like, for your fantasy novel. And they, they include things like, um, what sort of things do people eat? Um, what yeah. sort of cutlery do they use? When are the holidays? What's the coinage like? All of that is is that level of of, uh, of of detail that you can find it in Techimel. I once ran a, a Techimel game where we had um, a, a a Techimel style meal in the in the middle of, in the middle of the the game where we lay on couches and, and or, or sat sat uh, cross legged. I did the lying on couches. The players did the the, the squatting cross legged. <laughs> but it it's great when that sort of thing Occurs. is actually relevant. Um, but well, no, what, what I'm thinking is I, I have limited time to build stuff, and if I'm spending the time on that, I'm not spending it on things that are likely to give a greater return of fun. I think what that's the sort of thing that will come up um, in play very often. Um, you need a festival for a particular scenario, so you invent a, a festival. They're going to an inn, and they ask what sort of food is there here, and you, you come up with something that seems appropriate off the cuff, and you make a note of it, and you expand it later, and it becomes a plot point. Uh, that might actually be a way of classifying GMing styles. Um, you know, what, what One GM will say, okay, this, this is a generic fantasy land, so it's probably this sort of thing. Yeah. Another GM will say, ah, oh, well, my economic notes say this is sheep farming country, therefore... <laughs> yeah. The, the, the chap who knows that it's sheep farm, farming cu- country has an advantage that it will be consistent, and there, there will be Lancashire hot pot or the local equivalent in the uh, in, available in the inns, and you should see uh, Diana Wynne Jones's tough guide to fantasy land for the fact that most fantasy inns just have stew 
very generic. You never know what the meat is. Don't ask. Yeah, probably <laughs> safest. We've lost a lot of travellers who ask questions that way. Something I've been getting into a bit more recently, um, as, I, as I think about world design and try, try to improve, is deliberately leaving blanks. Yeah. Um, rigidly find, defined areas of doubt and uncertainty, if you like. Yeah. Th things that the PCs can poke at indicate their interest. Mm. Um, it, that might, might be explicitly um, that the, the player requests something. Or it might just be that the, the um, players are starting to put points into some particular sort of skill or power or whatever, and there yeah. ought to be room for something to exploit yeah, that. You can't have the world complete the first time you sit down to play. There should be topics that you haven't filled out yet, but you can grab hold of something. Yeah, you, you may have a very vague outline, but you need to be able to, I, I think at least, you need to yeah. be able to adapt that to what the PCs are expressing an interest yeah, in. Yeah, but the, the really interesting point is when they ask you questions you've never considered before in your life, mm. and and suddenly you say, yes, but that's a, that's a totally, lot. why haven't I, I, I seen that before? And that's one of the joys of creating with, uh, with it, along with the players. They give you what they need, and you give them something new. It does help if one has players who are tolerant of so, uh, GM who says, please wait till the world is being recomputed. Yeah. This does sometimes happen when you have a sufficiently complex cosmology and somebody says something, okay, I think that's the answer, but it's going to have implications for that and that, and let me just check that it's going to be consistent. Yeah. Don't, try, not to, try not to recompile for more than about five to ten minutes. Yeah. Go, going to the loo and to your bladder. <laughs> Pro tip. When they ask you something complicated, go to the loo and to your bladder and walk slowly back. <laughs> Okay, the here's an argument for for gaming at a campsite. A long <laughs> walk to the loo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I did uh, another crystallization point can be geography. Now this is a complicated thing. Geography may be more complicated than economics um, in 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 creating worlds. Well, but one could argue that they're pretty much the same thing in some respects. Well, yeah. Well, well, you yeah. can't really have one without the other. Well, true, and uh, but, and I've, I, I, and I think I, I can't remember what grade I got in O-level geography, but it was fairly terrible. Once or twice, I have taken either a world that I have uh, a map that I have found made by somebody else, or a randomly computer-generated world, and said, right, let's take that as found art. That's what the physical structure of the world is. And let's fill in around that. One of the best things I did was a campaign which started out in a small mountain village with the player characters being the surplus youths who they couldn't feed this year, being thrown out the front gate and said, you're the troublemakers, go away, make trouble somewhere else. Here, mm. the spear. And building the world up around that with some very vague ideas. I knew there were nomads to the north. I knew there had been an empire at some stage. But that they were they were hicks from a, from a mountain village. They knew virtually nothing. Yeah. Um, but some of the the character backgrounds implied stuff. One of the players was was a, was a changeling, um, and that meant that there were fairies of some sort up in the hills, and um, there were there was there was other stuff implied by the choices they'd made to construct their characters, and I could improvise around the details and it got quite elaborate uh, towards the end I was especially fond of the sentient flying boats <laughs> but you start I started with with the geography as a, as a, a as the, the central crystal and said let, let them explore 
and let's see what the story and their choices dictate. And it was as vague as that to start with, but it worked towards the end. At the other extreme, there have been game supplements which were basically, here is how to lay out a map that is vaguely geographically plausible, mm. and here is where you add the towns. And you know. That's a very val val valuable thing, and I wish uh, that it was easier to do. Um, there is a, there is a, a, a um, there, there's a solidity to real geography that makes me tempted to use it. I once did a, a game set in a world where I'd twisted the, uh, the North Pole to be above Panama City and set mm -hmm. it in the, um, in, in, they were exploring the geography of the uh, of the Amazon basin, which because of the different in difference in in latitude, I mean latitude, yes, um, uh, was quite different from from uh, from what it was in the, in the real world. But I could use that as a, an inspiration and and fill in the background around that. Another trick that I've heard people recommend is to take a real world map of the right sort of size, rotate it by some random number of degrees, change all the names. And you will at least have plausible. Uh, where are the hills? Where are the roads? Yeah, that sort of thing. Or just you know, like, like show them a map that uh, in sufficient detail that they don't know instantly, and and play around that. I did. A, I'm sort of tempted to run um, a game about uh, the Etruscans, um, mostly because nobody knows very much about them. <laughs> but you've got these mysterious people who suddenly appear in um, in some valleys in Italy. You show the players a concentrated enough, um, detailed enough map of uh, of, nor of North East Italy, and, and they'll never recognise it. There's sea here, there's rivers here, there's mountains over there. They probably won't explore far enough to recognise any of the bits <laughs> that they might, you know. There's big mountains over there, trust me. You can see them in the distance, yeah. Yeah. That start points, um, well, I mean, you've got a, there's technology, there's theology, there's geography. Um, what else can you start with? The obvious thing missing there from my point of view is sociology. What sort of societies do you want? Yeah. Because you, you may well decide if, if you want your game to be about warrior nomads, there are implications about the sort of world or at least the local area in which they're going to be because it's obviously one that supports warrior nomads. Which would be planes, and not many people uh, settle down to object to the warrior nomads. Yeah, but they're over there somewhere, so we can go raiding them. Indeed, I'm fond of the idea of the clan uh, structure. It works well to give people a not too small group that they belong to and can show loyalty to, but can also fight with the nearby by groups. Yep. Um, or can unite with the nearby groups when there's, when there's a bigger threat from outside. And the uh, city state is another. Uh, cliche that's used for good reasons. From a gaming point of view it's essentially a self-sufficient or close to it. Yeah, but um, it, yeah, it, it's got to trade with people to keep going but it, it's, got, it's going to be thrown back on its own resources quite often. And, and it has it, yeah, it has, it has friends and enemies near, nearby but it has its own, own, own problems. There's the core trigger of things which is often not anything you can apply directly to the game. And then there's the, the the nitty gritty details of building up, um, building up up the world. And one thing I've I've noticed is that the real world comes up with weirder shit than I can. Yep. 
Um, a friend of mine. This is a thing Ken Heidel always says: use the real world if you can. Yeah, a friend of mine dragged me up um, to his home in the Pennines a few years back uh, over the Whit Week weekend, and up in that part of the world, the small villages um, all host over Whit Week a brass band contests in which all the brass bands in the world hmm. commute around these these tiny villages where people sit in huts or in 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 win, uh, in in bedrooms with windows overlooking the the town square and they and they draw down the windows so they draw down the blinds so they can't tell who's playing at any particular moment <laughs> and the bands go out and play their set pieces and then their their individual choice piece and and get marked for it and you can sit there all day and hear the same piece several times and it's the most beautiful and weird thing with the police carefully shuttling these huge huge um, uh, buses around uh, uh, full of people with 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 um, euphoniums or whatever. <laughs> and I, could I come up with something as weird as that? <laughs> <laughs> when do you think it's ready to go? When do you know that you can, that something you've created is is ready for prime time? Either several hours work after you thought it was, or several hours before you thought it was. Mm. Depending on how the creation is going, I mean, it, it, it's certainly possible to overdo it. As, as we've said, over-specifying things yeah. is a problem in itself. Um, I think, as look for me at least, as long as the skeleton is in place, so that I have something I, when I get asked an unexpected question, I have some sort of structure I can look at to answer it. Okay, so what is it? What does your structure consist? Uh, it depends on the campaign, but um, well, that's, as I've been for, talking, for a fantasy campaign, yeah. um, the, it, it's going to answer the big questions, um, at least as far as starting PCs are concerned. Uh, what gods are out there, mm. for example? Yeah, the, uh, what, the, what sort of magic? What sort of characters can they build? Yeah, actually, that's that's a big question in in, in any campaign. Once you 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 can say to the, to the players, this sort of character is. Who would fit? What would you like to choose? Then, then it's almost certainly ready. Maybe. Yeah, I, I would certainly. Ideally, I would like to have something that I can throw throw at a player and say, "Okay, this is the world background. Generate a PC who fits it." Mm -hmm. um, it may be too long, and and one thing I'm planning to try is actually a summary version for people who don't want to read the full thing. That is still enough to say this is a viable PC and that one isn't. Yeah. This is going to be a writing challenge, which is why I'm doing it. What about uh, science fiction? Um, what lists do you have there? Um, definitely what tech is known. Yeah. Uh, if there is tech that is unknown that I'm planning to bring in later, then that should certainly be considered. Hmm. Though that that's e easier to fake up later if, if it becomes necessary. One thing I'm thinking of is what what mysteries are there? What things that are important for the player characters? But they can't know the answer to at the start. Yeah, I got the feeling these need to. Sometimes I generate those through through playing where the story goes, but sometimes those have implications. I'm reading at the moment um, a Barbara Hambly novel, uh, Sisters of the Raven, in which there has been a change in the magic of the world, mm. and all the characters are in the in, in the book are women who've suddenly discovered that they've got the magic which was 
exclusive to the men until right. just recently, but they don't understand the rules of it. And nobody, mm -hmm. I know, and nobody understood the rules about magic as well as they thought they had, because otherwise this change wouldn't have happened. Yeah. But uh, but in in the in the novel, whether spell works or fails is is de determined by narrativeian, but in a game. You have to be able to have a set of consistent things where you can say, you know, that didn't work. Yes, that did, without giving the clues away instantly to the to the players. Particularly if you have players who, play, who work with computers a lot. I'd say, well, hang on a second. Or, or play Zendo. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it, mysteries are, are a tricky thing to design because it becomes, uh, what they call it, pixel hunting. Hmm. It feels like pixel hunting anyway. If you can't see the solution to... Uh, to a, a mystery, even if... I mean, the feeling is glorious when you say, oh, yes, of course, why didn't I see that before? But players also hate feeling, I, I've tried everything here and I just can't see it. I know I know one GM who was famous for his um, bash your head against the wall for several hours trying to solve the mystery adventures. Uh, did people go back? Yes. Why? Because <laughs> it was fun, oh. eventually. <laughs> 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 That's the trouble with young players today. No, no, no interest in no interest in deferred pleasure. But uh, th thinking about uh, big mysteries, and so, so you've got a science fiction campaign. One of the things you might be deciding fairly upfront, I think, is aliens. Do yeah. they exist at all? Yeah, um, you so you, you could say, right, they're definitely not out there, and the subtype of that is somebody maybe trying to fake it. Ooh. But essentially, they're not. Is one option. Another is that they are, and everybody knows about it. Another is that they are, but nobody knows about it yet, which is obviously indistinguishable from they aren't out there until something happens. But at that point, it's, it's also, thing we've talked about before, a big change in the campaign. Yeah. And um, it's tricky because you want, you want to spring it on the players as a surprise. But at the same time, you don't, you don't want them to have signed up for campaign A and end up running campaign C. That's true. Um, we, you, you can't tell really. Episode. I mean, sometimes you can you can tell what the players want. Sometimes you you ask them and say, "What do you want in this in, the, in this world that I'm designing for you?" And almost invariably, um, at least with me, at the at the end of the campaign, somebody will say, "Yes, but what about this? I specifically asked for this, and I didn't get it." <laughs> you can you can ask them, but sometimes they've read something that you've written and they've seen implications in there that you haven't. They thought you were giving them X and you gave them Y. Yeah. Mm. It's a hard thing to do. I rarely get that level of feedback from the players, to be honest. So. Oh, well, maybe mine are more disgruntled than yours. <laughs> Leaving that, let's move on to another but slightly um, related topic. I talked a moment ago about getting input from the players um, in order, when, you're, when you're creating a world. Now, it's a big thing nowadays that the players are expected to be co-creators of the world. Now, this was always up to a point true, even from the, from the uh, earliest earliest day. Players would go to Dave Arts or Gary Gygax and say, can I play this, can I play that? Do these exist in, in the world? But nowadays you're expected and I think it's a good thing to get players to give their input 
say what they think would be fun and you know, generally go with the flow if they come up with good ideas. But you and I have been going for a long time, and so have many of our uh, players, and there is a certain resistance to this. There is, there is a lot of feeling that you're the GM, you tell us. So how do you get them into go with it more frequently? Well, one approach is offering some sort of game mechanical reward for it, or at least True. definitely not penalising it. I mean, Feng Shui was the first example of this that I, I came across. Mm. Um, it doesn't doesn't have an explicit reward, but it encourages players to say, is there a chandelier I can swing on? Yeah. And it encourages the GM to say, yes, there is, go for it. Yeah. Um, the, the, the environment is explicitly malleable. It's a backdrop for characters to be awesome in front of. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's action, it's action adventure. It's... Um... It, it, it's give me a, uh, let, let's make make the the moment as interesting as possible. That isn't uh, uh, the same as saying uh, I want there to be paladins in this world because I'd like to play a paladin. Yeah, that that that's more a campaign level sort of choice. I think I've, I've certainly um, read advice recently that if, if a player says I want to play X, hmm. then the the modern correct answer is. Yes, okay, but you write up the background for his culture and stuff. Yeah, there's been a, a lot of reward. I mean, there are systems like Castle Falkenstein, which encourages specifically the players to write up the background to their character, to expand background their character. And as I said earlier, background to your character has implications for your for your world. If you're allowing such a thing, then the the the, the structure to support that choice has to, has to be there which crystallises a lot of things in, into existence. But some players hate homework. Mm. I, I've certainly met, I think Amber was the first system that, that offered an explicit in-game reward oh, for yes, the player keeping Amber. a journal, or doing artwork or whatever else. Yeah. Um, uh, which doesn't directly add to, to the, the game per se, but it may well get the player to think more about the background. Oh, I, I'd say hell the artwork adds to... Uh, I am, I'm no sort of artist myself, and if people can make make me see the the the, the, the player characters, make mm. me make me see what the the look of the world should be like, then I will bow down in gratitude and give them extra character points for it too. <laughs> I'm I'm keeping a journal in one game I play at the moment, um, which I'm trying to write in, in an authentically early 18th century style, which makes it somewhat hard to read, but <laughs> never mind. Uh, but um, this gives me more. An insight into the character as I write it, so I think I think this helps. Yeah. Um, the th the thing that I think is an error, and I'm afraid this is something that Gert's Fourth Edition does, yeah. is penalised for getting it wrong. Um, Gert's has has it's an optional rule, and not many people actually use it. Uh, but basically, you in the appropriate style of game with the GM's permission, you can pay character points to make small changes to the world. Yeah. Um, it's you know, think things like that security guard is a guy guy I knew at school and he'll remember me in a favourable way, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Yeah, that, that's yeah. The problem is, a it might not work because maybe that security guard wasn't the guy you needed to get past. Mm -hmm. But b you've paid the character points to do it, which means you're not spending them later on something else that's such as improving your character, getting getting niftier skills I, and powers I, and things. Yeah, I think I think a GM who who does that, who accepts the character point payment and then screws over the player, is being what we technically call a dick. I don't think it's necessarily that clear cut. Um, well, yeah, if and that you you might be spending a character point to, to have a have a fun character moment now, hmm. where where 
oh, you, you might have been better off spend, spending it later on to do something different. I don't know. It just no, doesn't, doesn't, well, doesn't yeah, quite that, sit yeah, right yeah. to me. What, well, what, well, what I'd like players to do rather than that is to suggest the thing without paying the character point. I, as GM, feel entirely free to say, no, that's going to work a different way. Hmm. But well, I, I've never had a problem with too many suggestions. I don't think there's a need to ration them in that way. I think. Well, if, I think if the suggestion is going to benefit, look, if the my 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 viewpoint is is this, if the suggestion is just add flavour to the world, just to make it so that this is this is something more aw- awesome in in the world. Um, elves are not vegetarians, but actually fierce uh, fierce uh, carnivores. Um, Something to uh, something to change the world, way I, I I see see the world world, but doesn't benefit the players immediately. And hey, yes, I'll 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 consider it, and and, and if it's cool enough, I'll put it in. Mm-hmm. If a player's spending the point in order to get a benefit in the in the game situation, and if I accept that happen, then I'm going to give him um, at least some a benefit out of spending out of spending the point. It may not be as much as they thought they were they were going to get, but you're being a dick if you take that if you take if you if you take take their hard end character points and give them nothing for it. But what what's the downside of simply saying you can make any suggestion you like? Because the GM always has a veto on this anyway. Yeah. As far as I can see, the only problem is you may get too many suggestions. Um, there has not so far been a problem. Well, precisely, and this is why I don't ration it. Yeah, and um, I haven't found it a problem. And the, yeah, but, the, but 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 I will I will say if they're spending if they're if they're using suggestions, I don't know. Perhaps I'm inconsistent in this. Sometimes I'll make it depend upon a uh, upon a dice roll how lucky they're feeling. Yeah, all right. Yeah. You recognise that guy over there, and you're try, and you're trying to um, and you're trying to use the old um, or the old school tie thing. Um, and if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, he says, "Don't you remember how you bullied me during the fourth year? You and your friends, you bounder." Which is a line from um, a very peculiar practice, a, a, a TV series I was in, we, we, where you all hated me. I'm going to have my revenge at this moment," says the guard. I, and sometimes I will. I, I, I'm not consistent about about charging. I think we've got a different idea about about. What you can spend point, points on to to change the universe. There are games where there's a game called Dungeon, uh, spelt with a J, where they say if you make a successful search for for uh, hidden doors uh, roll, then there's a hidden door there because you <laughs> succeeded. And and Dungeon World is very like that as well. You you see what the the dice say, you incorporate it, and go on with the flow. Flow. I think is the, is is a very important thing here, maintaining the flow of the story, and making yeah. making it build and become more awesome. I th- I think this for for me I tend to file under everybody is having fun mm. as, as my main goal, which means a certain level of challenge. Yeah, also true. I have a problem. No, that, that, that's a that, that's a problem. I'll talk about it another time. <laughs> I, I I think some players uh, go for this more. There are. I suspect that things like uh, play-by-post or play-by-email games will tend to encourage, because there's there's more time for reflection and more time for um, thinking about what you're coming up with, may may tend to encourage more more mature and detailed um, 
I really must indulge my my play by post urge again soon. Been a while since I did it. And and to try and uh, uh, to try and bring the world together and make it more make it more more real and more detailed. But it's a difficult it's a difficult thing to do. As I say, some players I know who aren't in my main groups are better than the than anybody in my groups. But on the other hand, I do have groups which will throw things in and make and make things right. I'm wondering if one way of encouraging this would be to use the improv no but thing or yes but yeah how one's yes described. but so yeah the, yes there is no chandelier in this nuclear submarine yes but, but there there is a low ceiling and you can do nifty acrobatic by bouncing off it actually I think I think I think if the periscope is freestanding enough probably... <laughs> <clears throat> yes yeah we yeah but it is it is a good rule there are limits to it. Um, yeah, I don't think any of these things should be an absolute. Uh, but but it is a good rule wherever you can to take the suggestion and say yes and or no but. It's a yeah. What what the player was asking for in that case was something awesome to do acrobatics of. Yeah. Therefore, that can probably be provided, just not in quite the same way. Yeah. But sometimes, if you sit back and say, oh, "Actually, that's an interesting point. I don't know. What do you chaps think?" And they will go mm-hmm. if it's the right moment in the game. And the deep background stuff isn't isn't normally at moments of tension. At the moments of tension, what you get is, hang on a second, you can't do that. I, I always thought. I think some of the problem there may, may be um, it's a bad idea to break emotion when you've got it. Yeah. And uh, so, some modern games do this too much for me. Ask, asking the players constantly to be working at player as well as, as it might yeah. be, author as well as actor level. Yes, that is a problem. Um, the, I, I, if the emotion is happening, then then go with the emotion and stick with it. And yeah, at the, that point, I don't even get suggestions. This is a problem I have with the drama system with Hill, Hill folk that you are you are expected to subsume your interest in your character to the interests of the story as a whole, and I don't think that's good for either of them, to be honest. But hey, mm. um, your mileage may may vary, and it probably does. Yep. I, I agree. If you if you're in the moment, but if you're in the moment, um, and if you are focused on your character and feeling it, then I find the creation flows naturally. I I I I find that that the, the the right thing to say flows out of being the character and taking it from the character's point of view at that time, and leaving aside all the strategic and. Um, background stuff. You will say the thing that is true to the character if you're with the character at the time. Yep. And when when that when something comes up in that sense of the GM, maybe the player has simply assumed that something is there. Yeah. Then I will simply say, yes, great. It works. Exactly. It, do, it doesn't need to be a formal suggestion response procedure. Just yeah. keep it going. Except I, that um, I keep um, descri- uh, describing a simpler thing as a door opening when players are in tactical imagination mode, could lead to major <laughs> misunderstanding. It opens which way? But I thought it was. No, you mean it's made of wood? <laughs> Quotations from my last night game, more or less. Yeah, all right. We, I think we've played around, around with this enough for now.
So, Roger, tell me, how goes it with your great projects at the moment? What about the Torg? Uh, I've now run nine sessions of Torg under the Guts rules. Uh, we've got through... I've, I've been using the, the published adventures since yeah. I had access to them. So I'm, I, I'm being lazy with with with, um, uh, with the laundry at the moment, so you have my deepest sympathy. No, we, we got through Before the Dawn, which was the adventure that came in the box that deals with respinning the Earth. Yeah. And we got through probably about half of the Destiny map, which was the first part of the original published adventure trilogy. Um, the mechanics seem to be going pretty smoothly. Uh, the, it, integrating the cards has worked surprisingly mm -hmm. well. I, I was expecting it to break GURPS a bit by going to explicit rounds rather than one action, one action, one action, but yeah. it seems, seems to go all right. Uh, I probably won't use the cards for other games, but they do seem to work very well, give, give an appropriate cinematic ebb and flow sort of feel. Sometimes, sometimes a bit arbitrary, but it, it's, it's yeah. a pleasant experience. Do you feel like writing um, more of that sort of thing specifically for GURPS with GURPS in mind? What, a, a, a card replacement? A, a, a card supplement to the regular? Mm, perhaps. Uh, I think it's it only really appropriate for, for a cinematic style of game. Well, yeah. Um, which is it always some, was, something yeah. I do only some of the time. It might be interesting. I mean, the, the, the practicalities of delivering something like that physically would, would um, argue against it getting any sort of publication, so... Hey, people do print out cardboard heroes. I do. True. Anyway, go on. So, um, so what are the player characters doing? We've got well, we've got at the moment a fairly mixed party. We've got a cyberpapist hacker and inventor, well, cyberpapal heretic, obviously. Yeah. Null um, Empire costumed heroine, a core Earth diving instructor, ex Royal Navy, uh -huh. and a dwarf from Isle. Uh, the thing that surprised me slightly is that the only one of those has actually got. Much in the way of weird powers is the costume heroine. Yeah. Uh, no, nobody went for magic. Um, no, nobody went for spiritual miracles or stuff like that, which surprised, surprises me a bit. Well, I, I, speed, I, I, speed of getting into it, I think, probably had a factor. There. Yeah, that may also have been an exaggerated idea of how readily that stuff would fail um, when you're not in a. Yeah, the the shifting paradigms thing is 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 a. Yeah, it will encourage people to do something that's general, generically useful. Yeah, and it, it, it is only a one chance in 20, but it would be every time you cast a spell or mm. whatever. Um, so that's not, not ideal for something you rely on in combat. Then again, they've, they've been using guns in the living land quite happily for a bit, so I, th I think the perception of the group is gradually shifting, mm. that you can get away with things. And it, it's, it's a nifty idea, because it, I think what it was trying to do at a game design level, so I assume I've never read, designers' notes, I don't think they ever published them, is put the fantasy warrior who's got a sword and a bow and whatever on a reasonably equal footing with, with the guy with the submachine gun. Yeah, but on the other hand, the player feels, I've invested my 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 construction points in doing this cool thing, and then the universe takes it away from me. When I've done dimensional shifts that have changed people's equipment from one thing to another, they have almost always resented it except for the people who got some really nifty magical armour instead of the Kevlar. Um, <laughs> I, th I think the trick in talk may be that you, you, will you will lose abilities temporarily and it's a nuisance, but you will get them back yeah. when you go somewhere else. This also encourages you to diversify a bit from your basic setup. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, that I think everybody in the party has some sort of low-tech melee weapon at this point. Mm. Yeah, it may just be a knife. But it's something that will keep working in most contexts. Nice always works. Yeah. Said Mr. Miller. Brick always works. Yeah. Um, 
Well, well, something I had completely forgotten since I last did this, because I haven't been running published adventures for years, yeah. was just how disorganised things could be. Oh, yes. Um, and some some of this is just a matter of layout, because some, sometimes that's better, sometimes it was worse. The, the, the order in which I wanted to find things when I'm running adventures is not necessarily the same as the order in which they wanted to write oh, them. I know, that, that, I know it's in here somewhere, Syndrome. I, I, I spend too much time going backwards and forwards and then decide I'll bugger it, I'll make up a rule on the spot. Yeah, but the, there was one we came came across in the most recent session where the the author had simply forgotten the core part of the setting. <laughs> this and that. The, the, the PCs are chasing some bad guys, yeah. and they, they find a file that's been written by said bad guys describing how they talked to a land registry clerk in Indiana trying to track down a particular farm and heard a rumour of other bad guys trying to get the same information while yeah. they were at it. And, and the point of this is, is to... Um, Pass on. Yes, these bad these guys know where it is. There are other guys looking for it too. Also, here is the actual location, mm. and that's fine. Except that that bit of Indiana is now part of the living land with dinosaurs and tribesmen and stuff. A very very few land registry offices. Yeah, and my, my my feeling was, ah, yes, I am the tribal shaman. I will sing you the ancient songs of property ownership records. <laughs> Well, one can pin down just just where where he didn't realise this because the farm itself is in the living land. It's written as being in the living land. Mm. <laughs> he just missed that particular. Yeah, uh, yeah, I have. I've come across adventures where where the, the the author has forgotten what he's written in the same adventure. So yes, that smacks of oh, um, we are getting this out to a schedule and we are not quite having time to play test and check this. Maybe so. It does remind me a bit of some some of the things people say when they're being cruel about gumshoe adventures. You know, we, we're we're in this scene. We found the one clue. Let's go on to the next thing. Don't want to look for anything else. Mm. There, there's a certain amount of you go you go to the scene. You do the fight. You find the clue that leads you to the next scene and the yeah. next fight. Hey, I was mean to bring up gumshoe when you when you were talking about spending points on things that might turn out to be useless, because yeah. that is a uh, judging the pool size in gumshoe is a is a constant uh, strain. I think I'm going to strain some of my players with it. <laughs> but anyway, it seems to be going all right so far. Um, I've I've still got plenty of published material to go through, though. When, when I have time and inclination, I will probably insert some adventures of my own as well. Does it have a grand arc it's going towards? Yes and no. Uh, they they did publish an adventure which wraps up the entire setting. Mm. The, the the invaders are all repelled. Earth is saved if the PCs do the right thing. There were arguments about that. Um, at least some people felt that it was a bit too much of a watch these NPCs do their thing while your PCs are spectators. Yeah. So if if we keep running to that point, and at this point I see no reason why we might not, uh, I will probably hack that about quite a lot to involve the PCs more directly. I feel that uh, if Earth returns to normal, then it's a bit of a, a sin that I, I accuse Joss Whedon of over one of the seasons of the Buffy comic, making the world less awesome. Well, yes and no. There, there are several possibilities. Um, players may wish to block their ears at this point, but I don't think it's of huge importance. Um, that they did, they didn't actually have a canonical ending to the to the meta plot. Yeah. Uh, one option is, yeah, all the invaders are repelled, uh, and, and things are back as they were. Another option is the invaders are repelled, but there are still transformed people. There are still areas of shifted reality. Mm. Uh, if you've picked up nifty powers, they may well still work. Yeah. And there's still stuff out there to be awesome with and against. Well, I, I would be tempted to go uh, to add 
the reality is all merged together and in some uh, very hand wavy style everything now works perhaps mm. not as well as it did and, I, I... And, and then on top of that just in case they really screw up and everything dissolves into a primordial ooze between the worlds <laughs> That, that wasn't one of the options they came up with. Um, I, I, the, the, the feeling I get of it, and it, this was only a few paragraphs of uh, narrative rather than yeah. a definitive thing, uh, was that they, they were thinking in terms of post-World War II. You know, there, there are still pockets of Nazis to be cleared out, but yeah. the big fight is won, mm. was their model. Fair enough. Well, you're having fun. The, the problem is they never developed that because the idea was that was, that was going to be the core of their new masterbook system. Oh, for the love of fork. And so for a variety of reasons, that never really got very far. So. Well, yes. Um, the, the, the RPG landscape is scattered with the remains of forgotten and shattered um, systems. Some of which, like uh, like the uh, the junk DNA, uh, which uh, go up to make such magnificent specimens as Roger and I, um, may actually make some small contribution. I still need to get it. Get some use out of that copy of Polaris I bought at a, at a um, Cambridge Con auction. This is not Polaris the indie RPG. This is Polaris the French RPG. Which was about? Um, basically, huge solar flares make make it, the surface of Earth uninhabitable, and everybody moves underwater, and then things get weird. Okay, I can see there might be something. There. <laughs> but it, it was an auction. What can I say? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really glad that uh, people turn up to those auctions with. Enthusiasm. I see. So and this cash. Is, and cash. I say this as the auctioneer. On to the next thing. One of the things that might lead to fewer corpses um, lying around the gaming universe is proper playtesting. Um, which is uh, an arcane and peculiar art, uh, which um, in theory is something like um, the government trying out new legal schemes in specific areas, um, except that the government's going to, going to do its thing anyway and is not going to pay any attention to the fact it's failing some of the time. So. You've got a, new, a really cool idea for a new game. You've done the initial write-up. You think it's ready to be thrown at the wall. The playtesters are the wall that you throw them against. Yes? Yes, but being a playtester is not quite the same thing as being a good gamer. That's true. Well, it, being a good gamer helps, but, yep. but being a playtester requires additional skills. Well, for, first of all, it, it may seem an obvious thing to say, but quite quite often when one wants as a playtester, when I've seen a manuscript, my first reaction is to pick nits with it because I'm a born editor. Mm -hmm. Well, I'd which say, is not not yes. not a bad thing. I mean, checking details is useful, but the primary job of the playtester is to playtest. How does this work on the table? In whatever sort yeah. of game it is, role playing, board game, war game, whatever. Oh, hang on. Let me say. I, I'll say yeah, t two things. I'd say that that there are two two parts. There's a nitpicking part, and there's the and there's the co-creating part. If you see what I mean, there, there's the contributing. Yeah, part. And the thing that an author wants first, I think, is how, how did this work when played? Was it fun? Hmm. Um, well, yeah, but the nitpicking, the first nitpicking stage is saying, "What the fuck does this mean?" Yeah, and so, certainly um, that sort of thing. Um, in theory, 
quite often, at least for, for something being published by a reasonably serious company, it will have had one editing pass already. Yeah. Um, and, for example, Steve Jackson Games, when they play testing, specifically say, please don't tell us about typos and things, because this is going to get another editing pass before it goes out. On the other hand, if something is expressed unclearly, yeah. that's great, and they want to know about it. Um, so the, the classic unhelpful thing for a playtester to do is say, you should drop this section completely and write this other section instead. Mm, I, it may be true, but it's too late for that now. Well, hang on, yeah. The, I'd say the playtester has to have an enthusiasm for the project. Yep. If you get the initial file and you discover you are not enthusiastic, I would say get out as soon as you can. Yeah, I have I, actually done that once. I have, I have a, a, I had a disagreement about Hero Wars, as it was then, with Robin Laws, which I still don't regret having, because I felt that the system was, was so nearly brilliant and so actually not quite good enough. But he was operating and is operating on different sets of assumptions than I am about what fun fun is and how things can be made to work. If you find you can't enthuse after all, politely say I'm sorry for the and perhaps don't even give reasons. But but say, um, this isn't this isn't for me. If you feel you must give reasons, then do it briefly and get out. Because by this stage a lot has been committed to the yeah. creation of the game. I, I think one does need to be able to say, I can see what you're trying to do here, it's not a sort of game I want to play, and therefore I can't really evaluate it as in terms of enjoyment. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not that, I'm not quite that, that tactful sometimes. But yeah, if you if you, this is somebody's project, they want to they want to, to know why it's good. You may turn out to be right after all, but you can't be a playtester if you can't enthuse about the thing in general. This is one one case where it does help to have more people involved. If there is a playtest leader whose job is to put the comments together and give them to the author, mm. uh, you can say to him, "This is just not my sort. Not the sort of game. Is is this a matter of he's trying to do A, I like A, but he's got it wrong, or is this a matter of he's trying to do B, which I don't like? In which case, you know, my feedback isn't going to be useful. Yeah, it, it helps to have somebody else one can talk to on that because the the author may well not be able to answer in a, in a coherent. Calm. Like, <laughs> um, the, the other other thing that I've found particularly important is poking edge cases. Mm. Um, I got this from an article years ago by Steve Jackson about uh, designing ogre. But the, the, let's say you, you've got something where you're you're picking an army of different units. Yeah. What happens when you pick all the same unit? It, it, you get all the light scouts, and probably lots of them, or just all the artillery and nothing else. Mm. Is it still a playable game? If it's not, then maybe you need to change that. Yeah. Um, in, in, in a role-playing sort of context, it's what happens if I put all my points into wealth? Yeah. What happens if I choose this one big superpower and don't give my character any skills whatsoever? Can I still survive? Can I still have fun? What happens when you throw it at an idiot player? Fortunately, there are many of those out there. <laughs> yes, but are they involved enough to do playtesting and give well, you yeah. feedback and things? True. I'd say that the other half of the 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 of it, especially in role playing games, is being a co creator, being what we said players should should be. Mm-hmm. Asking questions and adding content. I got a playtest credit on third edition GURPS Grimoire because I think I asked, shouldn't there be a spell that does this? Which turned into I believe it turned into Malefice, the spell that allows you to do a make a poppet of somebody uh, if you've got a bit of their uh, hair or, or toenail, 
make a puppet of somebody and be able to cast spells at it as if it were the person. Mm -hmm. And that is a nice, nice feature. And I'm actually quite proud that my one question that uh, led, to, led to that bit of text. I'm even prouder of the fact I got a sidebar into um, the Solomani Rim book for GURPS Traveller, mm -hmm. which is they have a, uh, they have a standing character um, who is a stand-up comedian in the, in the Traveller universe. Right. And I gave him a bit of dialogue about um, how he first met this Solomani in a bar and that ended up having his face smashed into a table. <laughs> so, th ask, what about this? Shouldn't it be able to do this? The, there are there are things that players will do when the book is published, and and um, they they start reading it and thinking, okay, I've got this and this. What happens if I put them together? Or mm. what's this thing around the edge that I can potentially do? Yeah. And one, one, one's job as a playtester is, in some respects, to be, to be an intensive version of that sort of player. Yeah. Hey, pe people who are good at spotting loopholes may be very annoying, but are really useful for playtesting. Yeah. Yeah, you need a certain number of anal retentive um, and obsessive players um, in order to do a, a thorough playtest of things. Because some of your sales will be to people like that, and you might as well support them, because you make a better book if you do. Well, true. And, 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 no, and, and, and it will be a better game for the people who aren't like that, because somebody like that has gone through it. Yeah. The, the other thing that I, I found useful is say that the, there's a rule that's meant to discourage you from doing something. Mm -hmm. Make sure it actually does. Try try the stupid thing. Yeah. Charge your cavalry uphill against a fixed position. If it works too often, yes. Because, yeah. particularly in, in terms of real-world things, because if you've got people who are subject matter experts, yeah. quite often they, they will have a blindness on this. They will think, oh, well, historically this never happened because it couldn't possibly have worked, therefore there's no point trying it. Mm. And people have written games on that basis. Yeah, and discover that their actual mechanics don't reflect the universe. Yeah. The, in, in that case, you also need people who are ignorant of a particular setting. Um, you need people who are naive and willing to um, willing to uh, go for it, even though they don't know anything about it. Yeah, uh, Steve Jackson Games hasn't been doing as much public playtesting lately, uh, but when they do, they generally put in the call. Um, we want people who know. It, say, say they were doing the re-release of um, Gert's Traveler for Fourth Edition. Mm -hmm. They explicitly wanted people who knew the setting well and people who didn't know it at all. Yeah. To try to evaluate that, and ob obviously, the more playtesters you can get, the better. Why are they going off for public playtesting? Um, the rate of big books has slowed down quite a lot. Yeah, it's it's, we, it's we more have... like one big hardback a year these days. Yeah. Might, might be two this year, because, well, no, probably Discworld this year. Yeah. Zombies is just out. And that will have been, uh, been playtested to a uh, fairly well. I, I Certainly, yeah. yeah. Um, that, that, that had a big formal uh, mailing list playtest. And I know it's been getting a lot of testing of individual mechanics and things from Phil and other people running it. Yeah. Um, but I think when it's a small book, what it, what's generally happening at the moment is it's just quicker and easier and less costly in terms of their staff time to run it for a month or two past a small group of people. Yeah. Which is generally... The, at the moment, if you, if you have written stuff for Steve Jackson Games recently, mm. you, will, you will be asked, are you interested in taking a look at this? And... Whether that's a, you know it might be a pyramid article or it might might be a proposal for an actual book, um, but generally that there's a, a month or two of feedback on that, which it, which might be five or ten people rather than fifty. Yeah, 
But yeah, I'm not dissatisfied with some of the longer um, uh, PDF releases. Though I will admit that some of the stuff that gets into Pyramid at the moment is a little flaky. In some, not 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 as well baked as it might be. I haven't caught up as much on Pyramid lately as I as I should be. I mean, I'm paying for it each month. I don't don't always have time to read it at the moment. Oh. Um, I, 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 I tend to buy it as it seems useful. Yeah, well, I, I get the subscription discount, and I'm probably going to buy them all eventually, so I might as well buy them all now. <laughs> do many other companies do this intensive level of 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 testing? I think it's slightly more common than it used to be. I mean, you you may have come across the um, what they call in D and D next, the fifth edition oh, rule set. No, no. Well, I've come, I've come. I I, I almost got involved in thirteenth age, and then when I realised it was. A D20 based, I, I backed off. That was another what, mistake on my part. One of the things people seem to be saying at the moment is um, if you are interested, sign up and you can have a beta copy of the rules, no questions asked. Yeah, people do that with the Kickstarter stuff as well, a lot. And I think it probably does improve the final product. Um, but this, this is not even necessarily people who are committing money to it. This is, for D&D Next, it was basically if you're prepared to give us your name and email address, mm. you can have a copy. Um, and they would say, please give us feedback, it would be nice, but we're not going to insist on it. Because we're going to distribute this to lots and lots and lots of people. Yeah. And I, th I think that's an approach people, if, if there's already a community that interested yes. in the thing, or people are doing the social media thing to build up interest, in, in or Kickstarter or some other approach yeah. of that sort, if you've got enough people who are already interested, then it's it's relatively easy to say, here's an early draft, please kick it around and see what, see what you make of it. Yeah, um, I, 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 I suspect that we're going to, get, going to see a lot of revivals and, um, and projects that are put, put together. I suspect it's going to lead to a lot of games which are going to die, like, um, well, like uh, Torgdid or Lords of Creation. I think it's going to lead, leave corpses scattered about the place. I think that's always been true that that happens. Yeah. And D&D keeps going pretty much everything else. And how many game companies has um, Empire of the Battle Throne been published by? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that, uh, that's a, a special and extremely agonising case, <laughs> at least for those who those of us who, who love it. Um, yeah, there, uh, there there are there are difficulties in, but if you've got an enthusiastic, even a, even a small community, you will tend to get echo chamber effects there. Yep. This, I think, is the, the one advantage of, of the wide thing, because even, even if you've got a bunch of your primary contacts who are people who chose to support the game, or people who express yeah. an interest in the game, they can at least take that off to their own individual gaming groups yeah, and, and give you feedback. But, but will those enthusiasts come back with, well, I tried it, but my gaming group thought it was rubbish? Well, one hopes so. I mean, this is the... It's a tricky thing that I, I think... When, I, when I'm giving feedback, I, I've got to be willing to give negative feedback. I try to be reasonably tactful about it. Mm. I can always fall back on, well, this didn't work for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I keep thinking diplomacy is, is sometimes a mistake in artistic matters. I can't help but feel that. Well, we, we would encourage, if you get the chance, to be an enthusiastic and uh, supportive, when you can, playtester. Yeah, for the good of the hobby. There have occasionally been some truly huge changes as a result of playtest. I, I can think of at least one case in which the playtesters tore the book to pieces so hard that it went back and got rewritten. This is not something you aim for, but it needed it. 
So, oh, would you care to name names at this no. moment? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we come to an end. I think we have. Yeah. And that was, that has been, Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, with me, Michael Kuehl, and me, Roger Bell-West. If you have any interest whatsoever in what we're saying, or if you'd like us to say something else related to role-playing games, gaming in general, please get in touch with us at podcast at techini.ly. I will bid you a fair spring on Clay's going to start raining outside. This is England.